And welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the SMW podcast feed. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. So get that done if you have not done it yet. Let's dive on into the main topics of this week, starting with the big shocker, Peacock, getting an exclusive NFL playoff game. This is not something that I think anyone expected in 2024. Uh, and that's January of 2024. So that's this season. I don't think anybody expected that to happen so soon. Uh, and this is an NFL playoff game. This is not a week 16 Saturday game with, you know, mid-level teams that nobody really cares about. I mean, granted, Peacock's already getting a pretty good regular season game this year, Bill's Chargers. But in the past, you know, the the exclusive, you know, uh, uh, streaming games have always been very mediocre matchups or in the case of last season and this season on ESPN plus London games at 9 30 AM low value properties, things that the networks wouldn't necessarily want. Well, an NFL playoff game, you always want an NFL playoff game to take that away, not just from broadcast TV, but from all of linear TV and to give it to Peacock, not even to Amazon. That's another aspect of this that's shocking is pretty unbelievable. So uh, this is a one-year deal, according to the Wall Street Journal, worth $110 million. Uh, and obviously for the NFL, that's worth it. Uh, but I wonder if it really is worth it to antagonize your fan base the way that the NFL fan base will be antagonized by this um, and to devalue your product even just a little bit by putting it on a platform where the viewership is going to be very, very low. I don't know if Nielsen is going to be tracking this. We know Nielsen had to deal with Amazon for Thursday Night Football, but to my knowledge, they have no deal like that with Peacock, with ESPN+, Plus, any of these other streamers. So we don't even know if we'll see a, a viewership figure for this game. If we do, I strongly doubt that it will be anything close to what is normal for a playoff game. It'll still be massive relative to other sports, probably 15 million viewers or something. But for an NFL playoff game, that's a pretty low number. So uh, the NFL in its history has only had one playoff game that wasn't on over-the-air broadcast television, and that was ESPN's wildcard game in 20, I think 2015, Cardinals-Panthers, the first playoff game of ESPN's Monday Night Football contract. Uh, and uh, ESPN aired that game, and uh, they had a pretty good audience for it. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it was one of the lowest wildcard audiences you know, on record, but it was one of the top audiences in cable history. But it just wasn't enough for the NFL because from then on, every year onward, Every ESPN wildcard game has been simulcast on ABC. Uh, so it must be galling in Bristol to see that Peacock is going to get an exclusive game. You know ESPN wants to get those games for itself. So it's a surprising move and uh, strange. Probably the first time in a while that the NFL has made a move that would diminish its audience. I mean, obviously Thursday night football, but that's different. Nobody wanted it, right? So, you know, a playoff game, Anybody would have taken that. Fox would have been happy to have it, you know, CBS, uh, ESPN. To give that to Peacock is really the first time in a while that the NFL has done what all the other sports have done. All the other sports have sacrificed viewership for money, all of them. The NBA sacrificed six game windows a weekend on broadcast television in the playoffs on NBC for, you know, six game windows a postseason on ABC, right? You know, and and we've seen that the viewership obviously never got back to where it was in the NBC era. As a result, you sacrifice viewership for uh, for money. And the NHL has done the same thing. Uh, more recently, obviously, they had a lot of games on over-the-air NBC in their playoff deal before, and now they have what maybe three games, I think, total, maybe four on broadcast television for the whole playoffs. But the NFL doesn't have to do that. It's the NFL. So I, I'm pretty surprised, and uh, I'll bring in Drew now to, to get his reaction on uh, one of the more unexpected media deals in recent years. Yeah, this was definitely unexpected. I mean, when we were you know writing at the end of last season about what the new media deals would be like for the upcoming season, this was kind of one of the big question marks, and it, and it kind of flew under the radar, like, where's this extra wildcard game going to go? Um, and, you know, the NFL, they, they answered that question. It seems like it's going to go to the highest bidder every year. And um, it's certainly a surprise that it ended up on a streaming service. Um, 
But I, I think the NFL, they they kind of take a long view on these types of things. Um, to them, you know, maybe they're looking at this, hey, you know, we, we just expanded the playoffs. We have a little bit of extra playoff inventory. Maybe it's a good time, ten, even though it's 10 years before the, the broadcast deals end, right? Maybe it's a good time to introduce our audience to what a streaming experience is like for a playoff game. because. 10 years from now, we don't know where broadcast is going to be, right? Yeah. So maybe for the NFL, it's better to introduce their audience sooner rather than later, um, get them acclimated early. Uh, I, I think we can probably guess that this is going to be one of the less lesser appealing playoff games that's going to go on here. But I thought the number was pretty, pretty staggering, you know, 110 million for, for just the one game. You know, I did a little bit of like back of the napkin math today and obviously don't take these numbers as set in stone or anything, but um, just based on what the new deals are are like for each network, paying a little over $2 billion per season. If you break it down into each game window, they're paying approximately 50 to $60 million per game window um, each network. And so you could say this is around double what a regular season game window would cost one of these networks. So I found that interesting as well, but um, you know, there's going to be a lot of I guess, anger amongst the fans this year. I think fans already feel like they're getting nickeled and dimed at every quarter mm -hmm. quarter, especially with other sports. The NFL was kind of your one last saving grace where the vast majority of your games are on free over the air television. We'll, we'll we'll see what the reaction's like this uh this winter. I don't think it's going to go over well. Yeah, it'll, it'll go over terribly, I'm sure. And then you have you have all the possibilities. What if Peacock, you know, goes down, right? Or or they can't handle. You're going to be this is going to be at least 15 million viewers, you would think, mm -hmm. right? What streaming service has managed to handle that kind of audience for three hours and four hours, really, with the NFL? So there's a lot of disaster potential, and that's why I say, you know, I know it's 110 million dollars, but is it really worth the possibility of this being, you know, almost like a self-created Heidi game for the NFL? Uh, I think there's, you know, I mean, I I just see a lot of potential negatives, and I I don't know, I it, it seems too early. Right. It seems like uh, almost like you put an NFL playoff game on cable in 1979. Right. It would not be received well if ESPN in year one was hearing an NFL playoff game. Yeah. The, the other perplexing thing about this deal to me was that they actually gave it to NBC. Mm -hmm. um, NBC really only has one, maybe one and a half broadcasting teams. Yeah. Um, I'll say one and a half because they usually, at least last season, they had Al Michaels parachute in from Amazon to call to call a wild card game for them. So where is this third broadcast team going to come from? Is this going to be their new Big Ten team? Is this going to be, I assume Al Michaels is going to get another playoff game, right? Yeah, well, I thought the Big Ten folks are going to get that second playoff game anyway because I thought Al Michaels' performance last year kind of left people maybe not, confident that he was right for that role anymore so i honestly thought they were going to go with ian eagle and todd blackledge for that second playoff game anyway so to me the third game guarantees that michaels will be there um i, I think it's pretty simple for nbc uh i i actually think they're going to have Tariko and uh collinsworth do the peacock game really well, I, mean, I think they're going to have them do the peacock game in week 16 right because that to me you know that's the saturday night game and i think they're going to have them do the, the Peacock game in, in, the, in the wild card round as well. They want people to watch Peacock. They want Peacock to be perceived as, you know, an equal to NBC. And that's a way to do it. Uh, so I, I, I could see that happening. And then you have uh, maybe you have um, uh, Eagle and Blackledge do the 430 game. And then Michaels and Dungy, uh, I assume it's a, they're going to be those two again, do the primetime game on Sunday night. But, you know, NBC getting three playoff games, I wonder how CBS and Fox feel about that. I wonder what NBC did to get into the NFL's good graces like that. You know, we know what ESPN did. ESPN got rid of all of its journalists and stopped reporting on the NFL critically. And so now you see how, uh, how nicely the relationship is going. But I, I don't know what NBC did. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see 
next season and in future seasons how this game gets distributed right um because i i think um well we're gonna see how many people actually maybe maybe circumstantial evidence of this but how many people actually go and purchase peacock for this game alone right um if if it seems to be a a fair amount of people you might see you know fox putting a bid because they want to you know give Tubi a bigger platform or I think ESPN would love to have this game for ESPN plus. I mean, that would be a massive get for them. Uh, CBS obviously with Paramount plus, although I'm not sure that they're the most likely candidate for this um, just given the performance of that platform. But I mean, this, this is going to be an annual thing now. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not going to stop at uh, Peacock. If it does go well, you got to think ESPN will definitely be in play for that. ESPN getting a second wild card game. They've got two teams for Monday Night Football. Uh, so we also have not spoken on the podcast since the NFL schedule came out uh, back on Thursday. Uh, one, I did do the uh, Richard Deitch podcast and talked about it. Uh, there. So if you uh, want to listen to me on the Richard Dice podcast, you can go look that up on The Athletic. Uh, but uh, we didn't talk about it here. And uh, bringing up Monday Night Football, I just find it so bizarre. These these uh, Monday nights where you have two games, and it just does not seem like a smart ratings play at all. Uh, you have uh, the first one, you have one hour between each game. The first two, actually, you have one hour between each game. So they're basically overlapping. Uh, and uh, the the third one, the games are on at the same time. So I, I don't really understand what the benefit is for ESPN because you're just cannibalizing yourself. I know that ESPN, the angle ESPN used in the PR the last time was to uh, release a number basically when the two games were going on at the same time, this was a combined audience. And I guess that's what they'll do. But uh, to me, uh, you know, it seems overly complicated. And wouldn't you just want to have an audience for one game across the two networks instead of two games competing with each other? But, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the only benefit really is, you know, if, if you get one game, that's a dud, you, you might be able to retain more of your audience uh, just by having a second game. And also, I mean, ESPN doesn't really have that many additional windows where they could conceivably put these extra games, right? So if they want more inventory, this is kind of what they have to do, right? They have to stack them. Well, you know, they used to do the Monday night doubleheader seven and 1030. And that was always Mm -hmm. terrible because both games did poorly. Honestly, I think maybe six and 930 or six and nine, because yeah, the six o'clock game isn't going to do well, but I think it's a lot worse to have a game ending too late for the NFL if you remember in the COVID years, you always had these five o'clock games, random time slots, the five o'clock weekday games didn't do that badly. There was a uh, chiefs bills game on at five o'clock. That was uh, supposed to be on Thursday night, ended up five o'clock on a Monday did pretty well. I, I think uh, five o'clock and nine o'clock or five thirty and nine o'clock. I would do that and just have the games, uh, you know, uh, not competing with each other. I just, I, I just don't see the point of it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I know you discussed this on uh, on Deitch's podcast last week, which, by the way, I recommend everyone go listen to. This was a great in-depth look at uh, the schedule and how each network made out. But why don't you give a, a little bit of a roundup of which networks you think made out the best, um, maybe some marquee games that that you're looking towards? Yeah, well, I had said on 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 uh, Richard Dodge's podcast that I thought that Bills Chiefs could end up the most watched game of the year, and then I realized after I was done, obviously Cowboys Chiefs is going to be the most. Oh, excuse me, Cowboys Bills is going to be the most watched game of the year. Uh, that to me has uh, some pretty high viewership potential. You're talking about, I mean, come on, Dallas, the team in the NFL. And then in Buffalo, really the fan base in the NFL, 425 p.m. window a week before Christmas. That just seems like uh, assuming, of course, that both teams are good. That just seems like it's going to be really, really big. Uh, and, uh, you know, those types of games, those 425 p.m. games are always, always the big draw. Uh, I do think that uh, the Christmas slate, I mentioned it before, 
on uh, Dodgers podcast. Christmas slate has better games than the Thanksgiving slate for a reason. One, the NFL is trying to lay its claim to that holiday, and the NFL is so established on Thanksgiving, it really doesn't need good games then. That's why the Washington Commanders are on Thanksgiving, even though nobody cares about that team. Even in Washington, you have a 49ers Seahawks game that day that's not really that interesting. And then, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, those Packers, it'll be very interesting to see if they still maintain the drawing power that they have had uh, in this new era. Uh, On that I would also note that Tom Brady's departure means the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have no more relevance uh, at all. So you lose a team, you lose a draw. Uh, you also have, in terms of the Rams, uh, people were complaining that the Rams don't have a lot of national TV games. And of course they don't. They were bad last year. So that's another team that going into last season was kind of a marquee attraction, and you don't have them either. But uh, you still have the Cowboys, you have the Bills, you have the Chiefs, uh, and uh, you know, you have the Eagles too, who made the Super Bowl. So, uh, probably the most interesting schedule decision: putting the Lions on opening night. Uh, that is a leap of faith. That is putting a lot of faith in the Detroit Lions, and uh, they're kind of like the bubble Phoenix Suns, right? Went eight zero in the bubble, and people knew they were going to be good, and they ended up being good. But you know, the NBA didn't put them on Christmas Day, the season after the bubble, right? I mean, they they, they had to wait a little while. Yeah, that might be a bit of, you know, that Thanksgiving theory kind of coming into play for the NFL, knowing that no matter who you put on opening night, you're probably going to get a massive audience no matter what. I, you know, the Lions are, are a pretty weak draw, but especially going against the Chiefs, I mean, people are going to tune into that no matter who the Chiefs are playing. Real quick, do you want to give a rundown on which networks do you want, you think uh, made out the best? Uh, I think it's pretty clear that ESPN got a lot of what they wanted. Um, the Thursday night schedule is much stronger than it was last year. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, ESPN, of course, did make out well. Uh, getting a Super Bowl match, uh, Super Bowl rematch. ESPN getting a Super Bowl rematch. ESPN for years couldn't get a halfway decent game because Don Van Natta was saying things the NFL owners didn't want to hear uh, publicized, right? So, you know, look, ESPN is back in business. Uh, all they had to do was to, you know, <laughs> make their relationship with the NFL much more subservient. Uh, but they're back in business. They got a Super Bowl rematch. They got, uh, uh, they have two Super Bowl rematches, actually. So last year's Super Bowl and the Super Bowl before Rams Bengals as well. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, and uh, they also have two Cowboys games this year. I mean, this is a real package now. This is not, you know, the, uh, the, the Sunday night football package of Mike Patrick. And uh, let's see if I can remember all of them. Mike Patrick, Joe Theismann and Paul McGuire. And Susie Calber on the sidelines. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't the big marquee, you know, night of the week for the NFL. It was, oh, here's this other game with some teams that really aren't that popular, just in case you want more football. That's not what Monday Night Football is anymore. Now it is a lot closer to Al Michaels, John Madden, and Michelle Tafoya, right? Back to the level that it was in the ABC days. Uh, and I mean, it's just matchup after matchup that is on paper really good uh and i mean traditional matchups even the games that might not be very good these are traditional matchups packers raiders right you know um steelers browns so they may not be good games for all we know but they are the kinds of matchups that evoke you know the nfl and its golden years uh but as far as amazon prime obviously the big hit there jets dolphins black friday uh and uh you know I'll be very intrigued to see how many people watch that one because Black Friday has never been a big marquee day for football. You know, college football, all the people in college football are so upset. Oh, the NFL is intruding on Black Friday. I mean, come on. What are the big games that they put on Black Friday? It's been a long time since the Iron Bowl was on Black Friday. That was years ago, right? So let's move on to one more uh, NFL adjacent topic, also an ESPN adjacent topic. Uh, breaking this evening, Andrew Marshan in the New York Post reporting that Pat McAfee will be signing a deal to put his show, or at least part of his show, on ESPN. John, what what are your top-line takeaways here? I mean, it it seems like they're going to pay him a lot of money. Uh, Marshan says more than eight figures. I'm not quite sure what that means if that's per year if that's just for McAfee or if that's for the whole 
show or if that's you know just more than eight figures mean nine figures or does that just mean yeah. more than 10 million dollars we I'm, I'm not really sure what what that meant but it's a lot of money either way i'm sure it's comparable to the four years 120 million that FanDuel was giving him um so so what, what do you think here john well i mean a lot of different things one you know why on earth would someone go from being relatively independent you know, why would you go from that to working for Disney? I mean, do you see what's going on around ESPN? I mean, uh, to me, if you're going to be independent again anyway, working for ESPN, all you got to do is step in one thing and they are going to put you out on an ice flow and pretend you never worked there, right? And Pat McAfee, you know, I mean, his show is very loose. It's very... I mean, can you imagine if Aaron Rodgers said all that stuff he said about vaccines while it was on ESPN? Can you imagine how many people would, would lose their mind? Uh, I just feel like uh, it's a bizarre, I mean, the money, right? You, whatever, money. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like Pat McAfee could probably have gotten a similar amount of money while also maintaining his independence from a company that's laying people off left and right. Um, you know, he's not Stephen A. Smith. He's not going to be one of those folks who, when ESPN is ready to let people go, oh, well, this person won't possibly, you know, Stephen A., and that's it. I don't even think Scott Van Pelt has that level of immunity over there. So, you know, I don't know. It's it, 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 obviously the money, right? You go for the money. But uh, independence is kind of good, too. And so many people who fit Pat McAfee's description have already left ESPN to do their own thing. It's weird to do the opposite. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, th I think Martian touched on this in his article here, but it seems like he wants less responsibility. And that might be some of the reason why he's moving to a more established entity like ESPN. I'm also not sure if the money will even match, you know, what FanDuel was giving him, which was already very lucrative. So I'm not sure if there was a monetary incentive there yeah, um, or at least a massive one. I mean, just look what but, they did to Nate Silver and 538, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, eventually they lose interest in you and they will completely blow you off. Um, that, that's kind of what I wanted to get at. And there's an interesting parallel there between Silver and McAfee is that I'm pretty sure this is a licensing agreement. Yeah, so exactly. ESPN is licensing his show um, for their air, um, kind of similar to how they licensed Nate Silver's uh, intellectual property with, with the election models and the NBA models and all that stuff. So um, kind of a similar relationship, interesting parallel, but I will say, you know, McAfee, he, I, I thought he fit really well on game day, personally. Yeah. Um, he, he really brought some much-needed life into that show last year. Um, and I was, I was actually surprised at how well he slotted in. Not, not a Corso clone at all, um, but kind of filling a similar role, um, even though he, he has a bit of a different personality there. So I thought he was really good on that show. Uh, obviously, ESPN wants to bring in a younger audience here. Um, I think that's the main goal. And they said that they wouldn't do this deal if they didn't think it would be profitable. How much do I believe that? I'm I'm not really sure, but but I but I think uh, you're right when when you say McAfee's show isn't really a a great fit for the ESPN brand. No, it's a horrible fit for the ESPN brand. This is like barstool van talk. And, you know, I don't say that with any condemnation. I'm not against Pat McAfee or his show or whatever, but I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's just not a good fit. Uh, and there's going to be beyond anything else. I don't think McAfee can be, and I say this as someone who has never watched his show, has only seen snippets and interviews, and has a general sense of what it what it's about. I don't think he can be himself on ESPN. And still, even at a more restrained level, he's going to be too much for ESPN. So, you know, look. If you have the opportunity to not be responsible, like to to not be accountable to Disney, you should probably take that opportunity. I don't really know. He had the perfect amount of working for Disney, which is game day, right? And his main thing was his own thing. Uh, we'll see if this works out, but you know, I mean, I'll just I'll just say I, I just don't see how it could work out long term but maybe it will. I mean, but it's never worked out with anybody else who had a personality. Anybody else who had a personality at ESPN, it never worked out. 
I do have one more point on this topic, and I think then we can close it out. Um, you know, a few weeks ago when we had Danny Corrales from The Ringer on, um, he had an interesting point about how, you know, podcasts are kind of becoming TV and, and TV is becoming podcasts. And I think this is just a great example. Um, you know, there's not really a point in putting Pat McAfee on TV other than, you know, it's just a different distribution platform for, for his, for his audience. Um, but you know, the show is geared towards a digital platform or a radio platform, right? Um, it's, it's not like there's going to be a lot of visual elements necessary to enjoy the show. So, you know, it, it's just kind of, uh, it's a sign of the times, right? Where, you know, this is kind of what passes for, uh, daytime television programming now. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's a very anti-Norby decision, right? I wonder if Norby is finally starting to lose a little influence over there as uh, they see the reviews for their NBA studio show. But, I mean, the reality of the matter is this is not at all a 1997-style show. Look, this might be ESPN trying to be a little bit more current. The one thing that Norby Williamson programming is not is current. It is absolutely not current. So this is ESPN maybe trying to be a little bit more current, a little bit more something that, you know, young Gen Zers might relate to a little bit. Uh, and uh, maybe for them, that's worth the risk of dealing with someone who isn't a live wire. Pat McAfee's a professional. He knows how, I mentioned this before, Charles Barkley kind of code switching. McAfee knows how to code switch. He's not going to be the same guy on ESPN with his show. But that's also going to hurt his show because his audience is going to recognize that. It's a little bit like Conan O'Brien, actually, right? Conan goes to the Tonight Show and he can't be the same guy he was on late night. So he's less of what he was, but he's still too much of what he is for the for the Tonight Show audience that prefers Leno, right? It's a little bit like that. And I just don't see how it's going to work long term. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And and really, I'm, I'm not sure how much business sense this makes. Uh, at this point, with with the way that pay TV is going, uh, I don't understand why it makes sense to invest a lot of money in your daytime programming. Well, I mean, if you look around, I mean, first take is what the biggest hit in, in all of daytime yesterday. Uh, well, we're recording Tuesday evening, yesterday, Monday, May 15th. First take was the number 12 program of the entire day on cable. Well, and I mean, look, I would love to say first take does horribly, but relative to its competition, it does quite well. Uh, there's nothing, I mean, you know, certainly in, in demographic, I say number 12 program of the day on cable in 18 to 49. This is from Showbuzz Daily and they rank it by 18 to 49. Obviously, we know that Fox News is getting a better audience in that uh, in that time slot, but their audience is dramatically older skewing. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, 581,000 viewers, it's not a bad number. I love to sit down here and say that First Take does badly, but sadly, it does not do badly. Uh, but it's also, you said, you know, cheap, right? Well, it's not cheap either. They're paying Stephen A. Smith quite a bit of money. So, yeah. you know, the real question yeah. is, does, you know, 581,000 viewers is not bad, but is it really big enough to justify the amount of money that's being plunked mm -hmm. down? I mean, that's exactly. Because yeah. 581,000 viewers is really only good in the context of 10 a.m. on cable for mm -hmm. a non-live pro for a non-live sports program, right? In that context, it's great. But in any other context, you could probably get 581,000 viewers for a re-ear of an NFL game on a typical Monday. I mean, honestly, if 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 you went to the fall and ESPN was re-earing the Sunday night football game at 10 a.m., they'd probably do a similar number. Yeah, and you know, maybe what our ESPN execs are thinking, the value add is here is, is in the digital engagement and yeah. social media. I mean, that's kind of why First Take is such a behemoth. It, it sets the news cycle for the day a lot of the time. Um, so maybe they're hoping for something similar out of McAfee's show. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's made plenty of news with his Aaron Rodgers interviews and, and many yeah. other things uh, in the past few years. So if, if there's anyone that could do it, it, it is Pat McAfee. All right, John, let's transition here to NBA ratings. Um, another good week 
for the NBA. Why don't you give us some of the, the headlines? Yeah, well, obviously, you start with Lakers-Warriors, the most-watched second-round series since Bulls-Knicks in 1996. That's Jordan versus the New York Knicks, right? Jordan versus the New York Knicks was the you know Celtics-Lakers of the 1990s, uh, if you want to use that comparison, and uh, always massive numbers for that matchup. Uh, and uh, so that was the... Last time a second round series averaged more viewers than the Lakers and Warriors did. You do get the sense that some viewership was left on the table here because the reality is there was only one game in the series on ABC and it was on a Saturday night, not in that Sunday afternoon window. Uh, you know, that's what happens when you don't have a great over the year partner. And ESPN isn't, I mean, ESPN isn't even a good over the year partner, much less great. Uh, so you hardly have any games on ABC. You don't have games on ABC in the Sunday afternoon window because of F1. You don't have games on ABC in the late Sunday evening window that NBC made so popular because of America's Funniest Home Videos. It's a terrible partnership. The NBA better not run it back with ABC. If, if the NBA comes out of this next negotiation with ABC being its lone over-the-year partner, or even its primary over-the-air partner, it will be a massive failure on the part of Adam Silver. Uh, so you do feel like there was some viewership left on the table here with Warriors-Lakers. Um, but, you know, hey, still 7.8 million viewers, great numbers. Uh, and uh, it, it, the conference finals probably aren't going to average that many viewers compared to uh, Lakers-Warriors. Uh, final game of the second round, Celtics-Sixers Sunday, humongous blowout, ugly game but still 8.44 million viewers. That, however, is an out-of-home number, right? In terms of sometimes the numbers are, are influenced by out-of-home, but it's not that big of a deal. In this case, out-of-home plus holiday. It was Mother's Day. So viewership was up 13% from Bucks Celtics Game 7 on the same Sunday last year. But the same Sunday last year was not Mother's Day, right? It was just a regular Sunday. The rating, which of course does not include out of home viewing, was down from Bucks Celtics. So when ratings are down, but viewership is up double digits, you can pretty much know that that's out of home viewing. Out of home viewing is pretty much solely responsible. I say pretty much because I don't have the number for that increase. But still, hey, 8.44 million viewers, you can't go wrong there. Uh, and uh, the third largest opening or second round audience in the NBA since 2011. Uh, overall, the full uh, first and second rounds, 4.6 million viewers, highest since 2011. Uh, and uh, ESPN and ABC in particular, their most watched first two rounds since they got the NBA in 2003. Uh, are the numbers going to keep trending up like this? Eh, it depends. I think Lakers Nuggets has a really good shot of outdrawing last year's Mavericks Warriors, which never really did all that well. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, I don't think Celtics Heat will match last year, same series, because last year you had two games on ABC out of the seven. Uh, and uh, one, I don't think this series is going to go seven. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, people are also kind of tired of this matchup too. John, you did you did discuss there um, the importance of broadcast TV and these NBA yeah. playoff ratings. Um, you, you you had a tweet this afternoon saying in the last 30 years, 24 of the 25 most watched NBA conference final games. I know we haven't gotten there yet, but it's still kind of is good for this point. Um, have aired on on broadcast television with uh, Thunder Warriors Game 7 in 2016 being the lone exception. Yeah. Uh, and if you go th further down the list, 34 of the top 36, 47 of the top 51. I mean, is this something you expect? Well, I mean, it comes down to one thing, right? Uh, broadcast television, especially in the 1990s, but even today, is still the place to get the largest audiences. Uh, and, uh, you know, ESPN and TNT, you know, TNT has no broadcast components, so all their games are always on cable. ESPN does, but realistically, ESPN only wants the games to air on ESPN. Uh, I don't know what negotiation happened with the NBA to get ESPN to put two conference final games on ABC last year, but you'll notice this year they only are putting one on ABC. And for years and years and years, they put none on ABC. Uh, the reality of the matter is, I mean, Nearly all of the most watched conference final games of the past 30 years aired on NBC. NBC only held rights for nine of those 30 years. 
right? Now, people can say all they want, well, it was the 1990s. So be it. The fact of the matter is, especially in the out-of-home era, you know, if the NBA had been able to maintain any level of the viewership that it had leaving NBC in 2002, we would have seen audiences that were comparable in the years since. If you think about all the game sevens you've had in the conference finals, some of those games on TNT, Oklahoma City, Golden State, Golden State, Houston, you know, if those were on over-the-air broadcast TV, for one thing, those were two Monday night games. In the previous TV deals with NBC, those had been Sunday night broadcast TV, probably 20 million at least, even in 2016. So again, that's what I get to when I'm talking about leaving viewership on the table. The NFL has not done that before, but the NBA has been doing it for 20 years. Uh, and you know, when you leave viewership on the table, you end up with nearly all of your superlatives being held by something that aired 30 years ago. I, I just look around at the amount of of audience you 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 neglect when you decide to put everything on cable you know not even going back to the cbs era where cbs wouldn't have every conference final game after game three for example uh if you go back and look at 1990 uh tbs had game five bulls and pistons right you know a potential clinching game in in a lot of cases would be game five or or the all-time great game uh where bird steals the ball in 88 or excuse me, 87 against Detroit. That was also on TBS. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that it needs to go back to the NBC era, but, you know, even splitting between broadcast and cable where you have maybe games one, four, and seven on broadcast and the rest on cable would be better than what, what we have now, which is, you know, hardly anything. Yeah, I mean, when you look at these numbers, you know, 24 out of 25, the most watched conference final games were on broadcast. It, it's almost, you know, gross negligence mm -hmm. to have yeah. only uh, one single game on broadcast during the conference finals. I mean, yeah. that you're leaving so many viewers on the table there. Uh, yeah. I want to get to some ratings predictions sure. for, for the upcoming series. Um, I mean, it's obvious what the NBA wants. They want the Lakers and the Celtics in the finals. That's that's pretty clear that that would be the best um, viewership draw for them. But what do we think about these conference finals? Well, like I said before, I think Lakers Nuggets has a good chance of increasing over last year. I don't think you go from averaging 7 million viewers, really 8 million, to you know tanking below 7 million. I, I think that series will do better than it would have done because the Lakers played Golden State in round two, right? So you, you don't just, especially given it's the Lakers and LeBron James, you're not just going to say, well, the Warriors are out, I'm, I'm done. I mean, maybe in San Francisco. But I, I do think that you will see at least an increase over the last few years for the West Finals. Uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is the bubble series between those two teams did not do that badly. I mean, it did badly relative to what you would expect for a conference final, but game one was over 5 million viewers on a Friday night in September. And, you know, that's an incredible number for the NBA, over 5 million viewers on a Friday night in September opposite college football during the NFL season. I mean, that's wild to me. So even in the bubble, you could see that there was intrigue in, in that matchup. And uh, I think obviously in, in a much better set of circumstances, uh, I would think it would be at least in that 7 million range, if not quite at Warriors-Lakers levels and certainly highest since 2019. That's what I'm assuming will happen. Game's got to be good, though. But like I said, Celtics-Heat, I think that matchup is a bit tired. I think, uh, you know, uh, not having any games on broadcast TV will hurt, and I also suspect that Miami will have a tougher time this year. They don't have home court advantage, and uh, certainly Boston looked very formidable. If the Celtics are sleepwalking, which they do way too often, if they sleepwalk, they, this could be a long series. If the Celtics are awake and actually pay attention to what they're doing and, and play hard, then I, I don't think Miami can get past game five, even with everything that Jimmy Butler has to offer. So, um, you know, series length will be a big factor there. Yeah. I will say this, if it's Nuggets heat, it's going to be like 2021 all over again. It won't be the bubble, but it'll be like Buck Suns. I, I don't think that series will average even a six rating. Final big ratings topic for the night, uh, NHL. You know, there's a lot of narratives out there right now with the, the NHL ratings, but uh, I think Austin Karp from Sports Business Journal kind of summed it up pretty well that despite, um, you know, kind of a lackluster second round, 
the Stanley Cup playoffs are still up 9% through round two this year. So still good, um, good times for the NHL. Although those might not be here to last with the four teams they have remaining. All happen to be south of the Mason-Dixon line, not really hockey country. Uh, what, what do you expect for the rest of the NHL playoffs? Well, you know, maybe if Seattle had gotten through, we'd have a different story because Seattle clearly has uh, some intrigue to it. Those final two games, Dallas-Seattle did very well, nearly matched uh, the Game 7 of Rangers-Hurricanes last year. And Game 6 actually did better than Rangers-Hurricanes did a year ago. But I think that was mostly the Seattle Kraken uh maybe the stars are that kind of a draw. They certainly weren't in the bubble back in 20. Uh, you know, I mentioned before the Lakers nuggets in the bubble actually did pretty well given the time of year. I don't think you can say that about the the stars, any series they played in that was, uh, you know, this, uh, they, they didn't really move the needle much then. And I, I don't know that they've moved the needle much at all in any of their runs since the early two thousands. So look, stars, golden Knights, it's not that bad of a matchup. Vegas is actually the smallest market left in the playoffs. I think people would be surprised by that. Las Vegas is not a big TV market. Smallest market by far. Dallas is a top 10 market. Miami and Raleigh are top 25. Uh, Vegas, I think, is somewhere out of the top 40. Uh, but, you know, Vegas does have, even though they're only five years old, their own little bit of tradition, uh, all the, you know, ostentatious stuff they do with their open. Uh, I think there's a lot of interest in that. And uh, there's still a bit of a novelty as well. Uh, the Eastern Conference Final, it's going to have to be great games. Every game's going to have to be amazing because Carolina, Florida, my goodness. And that just sounds like an ACC football game. And, you know, the ACC isn't even the biggest draw in college football. So, like, even, even if this was college football, it'd be like, well, I'd rather watch the Big Ten, right? So, you know, look, I, I think, I mean, that's going to be tough. It's going to have to be really well-played, high-quality hockey uh to 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 resonate uh but uh as far as matchups in the final go you know maybe vegas carolina would maybe be what you want carolina dallas florida there's no good matchup really remaining <laughs> anything the nhl gets as far as positive ratings the rest of the way will be a testament to the league strength uh and that'll basically be it yeah, I, I think for the most part, all, all the narratives are, are kind of gone, at least the narratives that me as a casual fan would uh, would be paying attention to. Um, bigger picture, though, I I think the NHL should still be pretty pleased given how things you know have shaken out. They, they lost most of their big TV draws in the first round, um, but that first round had fantastic ratings. They're still early on in their television deal so it's not like this will have huge implications on on their um on their media rights in the future so um these seasons happen you hope yeah. they don't happen every year but this is kind of how the cookie crumbles sometimes yeah and even for the nba i mentioned nuggets heat being a possibility you know the nba has had such a great year if you get nuggets heat at the end of it, it's still going to be a painful series. This is just the way it goes. Unless you're going to rig the results, you have to live with the reality. Sometimes you're just not going to get a good matchup. All right. A couple quick hitters to, uh, to kind of close this out, John, uh, the topic we can't seem to stay away from yeah. uh, the XFL uh, XFL championship Saturday night on ABC. Uh, there's a broadcast window. Um, yeah. 1.4 million for the Arlington Renegades and DC Defenders with the Renegades coming out on top in the inaugural season or whatever the third inaugural season of the XFL, whatever iteration of this yeah. league this uh, that we're on. Um, any takeaways from that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, decent enough number. Uh, won the night on the big four, just the big four uh, broadcast networks in 18 to 34. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, look, when the XFL had its previous title game back in 2001, it was the least watched program of the entire week. This one was not even the least watched program of the night. So TV has fallen to a point where you can put the XFL title game on in prime time, and it's not a big deal. By the way, that 2001 XFL title game was the least watched show of the week, despite having a direct lead-in from the NBA playoffs. I even remember NBC hustling off the air from Timberwolves Spurs to get to that XFL title game, and it still didn't do very well. Uh, look, I mean, I think at this point when it comes to spring football, it is what it is. I think it's a, I think it'll stay around as long as people want to keep 
putting money into it. I think the audience is what it is. It's not going to get much better. It's not bad. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to talk about the WNBA in a second. And while there's a difference between football and basketball and certainly football once a week, even in the spring, WNBA hasn't gotten to a million viewers in, in what, 15 years. So XFL, USFL getting to that mark. Certainly the WNBA is something that has staying power, which it most certainly does. I don't see any reason why these other leagues, at least just based on their ratings, why they shouldn't. I, I would like to talk a bit about the WNBA. WNBA season's coming up. They're primed to have a, a big year, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of momentum with women's basketball. Seems like that's maybe been said quite a bit in the past few years, but I, I think um, with with how the college season ended, there there's some something truly there this year. Uh, I know you've been on the record saying that you expect some games to get over a million viewers this year. If I had to make you peg a number for their highest uh their highest viewed game of the season where do you think you would peg that number uh maybe 1.2 million uh i'm gonna say that would be the number i'm that i'm thinking for friday's game mercury and sparks Brittany griner's return her first game back direct lead-in you know, when that game was first announced, I assumed that lead-in was going to be a Boston Bruins conference final game. Instead, it's Vegas versus Dallas. Uh, so, but, you know, it's not going to be the, as strong a lead-in. But um, I just think there's I just think there's enough interest in Brittany Griner's return that that has to be a million-viewer game. And the other thing, too, is they might actually get a little bit of help from hockey because that, that NHL game, because it's West, ESPN set aside 11 p.m. for the WNBA. That Western Conference NHL game is going to start at 8.30, right? If it was the East, it would have been 8. So 8.30, you're expecting a National Hockey League playoff game to end in a two-and-a-half-hour window. That means, to me, there's a really strong chance that WNBA audience is going to be maybe second half onward, right? Which is actually a good thing. Because obviously it's easier to sustain an audience in the million range over the course of a smaller amount of time. So I actually think that the NHL game running over, especially if it's overtime and it's exciting, that could actually help out a little bit uh, in terms of keeping that WNBA audience over the million mark. But I will say right off the bat, I think game one will be over a million viewers, uh, Mercury and Sparks. Uh, maybe the All-Star game goes over a million, but I think that'll probably be stuck in the 900 a thousand viewer range that's prime time on abc in july uh and uh you know the real thing for the wnba is there's no excuses anymore this is everything is coming up the way it needs to uh obviously the interest in women's basketball is higher than it has ever been right it is higher than it was in 1996 when the league was formed uh you have the compelling storylines this is no longer the era where the atlanta dream are making the finals every year you have compelling storylines and interesting teams. You have a super team in New York and a super team in Vegas. Uh, a little bit of bad press with that super team in Vegas with, uh, with uh, you know, Becky Hammond uh, and Derricka Hamby. Uh, but whatever, you know, that that happens. Uh, it's not going to have a material impact on, on people's willingness to watch that team. Um, and, uh, you know, Brittany Griner's return is the biggest storyline the league's ever had. So... There's no excuses. If we come out of this and it's like, hey, ratings are up, you know, whatever, and and, and the numbers are just kind of in the same range they were always in, I think that's got to be a disappointment. I'm not saying the WNBA has to make the leap this year, but it has to make the leap to where it can make the leap, right? It's got to get out of the range that it's been in for all of these years where people are celebrating that viewership is up x percent and y percent but if you look at the actual raw number it's really not much better than it ever was this has got to be a year where you start to see what we saw with the college game the roof being raised the ceiling has to get raised all the wnba's growth has been within the same ceiling for all of these years you got to raise that ceiling and then eventually blow past it yeah uh, that that 1.2 million number that you are um predicting that that's pretty interesting i mean Brittany griner was a you know national news story for many many months yeah uh, for the last year i you know i'm not quite the ratings prognosticator that you are john far from it but um i, I wouldn't be surprised if that number was even higher mm. um especially you know i mean 
this probably won't matter too much, but you know, maybe there's a little Dallas stars, Baylor university, Brittany yeah, Griner overlap um, that, that might hold on to some more viewers who knows, but I mean, I, I think if, you know, they, the W and, and ESPN does a good job of marketing Brittany Griner's comeback. There's, there's a lot of casual intrigue there, just yeah. given the whole backstory. Um, it's, it's incredible that she's even coming back and, and playing and, Anyone that's a fan of basketball or even just a follower of current events will be interested to see how she does. So I do I do expect a big number for the WNBA there. Yeah, well, don't forget it's an 11 o'clock start Eastern time to accommodate that NHL lead. And ESPN does not usually carry a game on WNBA opening night, which is always on a Friday. Uh, you know, uh, I, hey, I would have put it on ABC. I'd put it on ABC at 9 o'clock. What is ABC going to air? What Shark Tank? They can put that on at eight, and then the game on at nine, right? But you know, we all know the way that these things work. But uh, you know, eleven o'clock start, one point two million for an eleven o'clock start, I think is, is yeah, pretty good. I'd be I'd be surprised if it was you know two million. I mean, that'd be shocking. Uh, so one point two million to me, I, I'm not even necessarily sure it'll get to that level again. Yeah. Eleven o'clock start, that's tough. That 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 is true. Um... All right, John, do you have any final thoughts for this week's episode? One more thing. Doc Rivers got fired today, and I'm going to be very interested to see if he goes back into TV. He was ABC's lead analyst in the 2003-04 season, worked for TNT before that. Uh, he was a star TV analyst. People don't remember that now because it was so many years ago, but he was a star on TV. And uh, especially if Mark Jackson, say, gets a job or, or, or ABC and ESPN just want to try something new on that lead team, he'd be a great fit there. Uh, and uh, certainly if you're Turner, I don't know how much Turner is committed to Stan Van Gundy being their lead uh, or one of their leads. Uh, and I think Doc, who again started at Turner years ago, you can hear his voice on, you know, that those Knicks heat fights in the 90s uh, doing those games with Vern Lundquist. I think Doc Rivers would be a great fit uh, on TV, probably a better fit on TV than as a coach. And I don't even mean that as an insult, because even when he was winning in 2008, I thought he was a better TV analyst than coach. He is at a very high level as a TV analyst. All right, that pretty much covers everything. I think we're done for the week. We'll come back next week with more stuff. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the SMW podcast feed. Again, that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Bye.